Welcome to the Casa Delaware Live podcast. Hi, I'm Lauren Bruckner, the State Training Director, and I welcome you and thank you so much for continuing to join us on our podcast. So this is episode number 13, which is released on Friday, July 24th of 2020. So glad everyone is taking advantage of these podcasts and ability to kind of learn new things um, and in a relatively short period of time. So thank you so much for doing that. We definitely appreciate it. Um, so... This episode, in this episode, we interview Antonisha Busby. She joined the Office of the Child Advocate not long ago, um, and she brings with her a great wealth of knowledge in dealing with teenagers and helping assist them age into adulthood. And um, she is also a part-time independent living provider, um, and she comes with a wealth of knowledge working in that background. So she talks to us today about um, independent living services and, and what can what is offered to youth as they transition into adulthood, what CASA should know and how we can assist. She also oversees the IVN Davis Scholarship, um, which is financial assistance to youth in foster care uh, for continuing education. One of the things she does mention to us is the need for financial support. Um, So this is definitely not a target to ask CASAs to donate money, but um, certainly if you can, that'd be great. Or if not, if you know somebody else who is looking to donate some money to a worthy cause, this definitely is one. So I'll put the link in the show notes, but just so you know, it's courts.delaware.gov slash child advocate slash about hyphen us forward slash support. And then when you um, click on the donate button, um, you can write the word scholarship in the comment box. That way the Office of Child Advocate knows that that money is specifically donated for the IVN Davis scholarship. Um, So as we know, working with our teenagers, um, being able to provide them with any type of financial assistance, especially as they seek higher education um, and a specific trade or specific skill and um, education is really important. So if any any financial assistance can be provided to them, that would be great. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Antonisha Busby. Right, welcome to the podcast, Antonisha. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Welcome. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, kind of where you studied. Tell us, like, a little bit of your background. So, I'm originally from South Jersey, um, close to Atlantic City, actually. I ended up in Delaware because I came to Delaware State University to get my bachelor's in social work. And then I got my master's in social work two years after that. And then I just ended up liking Delaware and staying here. Awesome. Why did you, um, what, ma- what made you want to choose um, Delaware State University? Well, I went on um, like a nationwide college tour kind of thing. And um, 
I settled on Delaware State because they had a good social work program. Um, it was close enough to home, but far enough that like my family couldn't pop up on me necessarily. <laughs> you had so a safe I felt distance. Like it was like the per- yeah, I felt like it was like the perfect distance from Jersey, and so I just I ended up coming here. <laughs> awesome. So, what what about Delaware? Did you like that made you want to stay? Of course, no taxes. Sweet, <laughs> sweet, sweet. I love that. I love the fact that you can get from one end of Delaware to the other end in a matter of hours, like a few hours. Um, Jersey is not like that. So I like that about Delaware. And then it just it was a lot of opportunities for social workers. And at the time, they didn't have um, multi-tier licensing. So I didn't have to go through, you know, a bunch of tests in order to get my clinical license. So I like that, too. Okay, gotcha. And when did you finish your degree? I finished my master's degree in 2016, and then I got licensed actually last year. Okay, so since you got licensed, what what have what has been your career? Um, so since licensing, I've done a lot more private therapy. Okay, like what? Okay, practices and my own you know if I so choose but right now I'm an independent living worker part-time and then of course I work for OCA and then I do private therapy as well oh so you're just a little bit busy (laughs) yep just a little of everything okay well I want to I want to dive into each of those three things independent well at least two of the things independent living and then office of the child advocate so let's start with um well let's start the office of the what should you do first independent living and then join office of the child advocate yep Yep, I've been doing independent living since 2015. Um, I had an internship here, actually, at Progressive Life Center, and then they ended up hiring me before I even finished my degree. So I've been here since 2015, and then I just joined OCA this year in February, actually. Okay, excellent. Well, welcome, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) What an interesting time to join, yeah. (laughs) Um, So what made you join, so what do you do with the Office of Child Advocate? So I am their Youth in Transition Coordinator, and basically that means that I help with the ETV and IBM Davis scholarship process. Excellent. Do you mind explaining both of those to us? Sure. So ETV is Education and Training Voucher Program. Um, sometimes people call it TAFE ETV. Um, and basically that is funds that help pay for youth that have experienced foster care to go to college. And so those expenses can not only cover tuition and books, it can cover child care, um, daycare, rent, housing, you know, just some of the other costs that come with being in youth, um, being in school that we don't always consider. And then um, Ivy and Davis is kind of the same, but Ivy and Davis has to be paid strictly to school. It won't go into the hands of a youth. So that pays for tuition, meal plans, um, housing that's on campus. Okay, so the IVM Davis scholarship, is that specific to higher education? Yes, they both are specific to higher education. They can cover trade schools, um, community colleges, four-year schools, Um, it typically won't reach graduate school because the cutoff limit is 26. So, I mean, for some youth, it it may cover that, but a lot of them, it doesn't. And um, the other difference between them is for ETV, you have to have been in foster care at age 14 or older for exited foster care. And IBM Davis, it could be whenever you, you could have been in foster care at any point in your life. So you could have been in, in foster care when you were three years old and still be eligible for IBM Davis. So that's the benefit of both of them. I see. So there's kind of an age, age requirements. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So, um, so how did your past kind of experience with, or I guess it's also current experience, I guess, with independent living, um, help you with your current job at the office of the child advocate? Um, I would say it helps because I know all of the and typically our applications and referrals and things like that are coming from independent living providers. So it, it definitely is a benefit to know them. Um, I, and I'm, I just had the ability to build a relationship with them really quickly if I don't know them. So I think my experience just working with that population and working with that age group helps me a lot because I can just get right into it. You know, I didn't really need much training or, or assistance in, in that. Yeah, it sounds like um, both jobs kind of overlap, well, really complement each other. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. And just about how many kids do you work with on a regular basis? For OCA or um, how about, independent how about, living? Bo- how about both? So for OCA, we actually had a record-breaking amount of applicants this year. We had, I think, like 54 kids apply for the scholarship, which is amazing. That's the most that we've seen Wow, okay. DFS and looking at child placement review boards, records, I think this is the most youth that have ever applied, so that's amazing. Um, We're actually in the middle of interviewing all those youth right now to see if they're eligible for the scholarship. And then for independent living, I have maybe 12 kids that I kind of look after and then I supervise because I'm the lead case manager there. So I supervise some cases and some of my coworkers' cases as well. Okay. Gotcha. So I bet you pretty, you know, those 12 kids pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I've had them, I've had them for some of them for years since they were 16 and now they're about to be 21. So it's just really awesome to see them grow and, you know, go through everything to become an adult. Yeah. They're like the little babies, like growing up and graduating. (laughs) I know. That's how I feel when I, when I see them turn 21 and I'm done with them. It's like, oh my gosh, I'll see you since you were 16. Yeah. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. So for your interviews for, I think you said it was 54 people that applied for the scholarship. Yeah, just about. Just about. Okay. So how are you doing the interviews? Oh, my goodness. We've been doing them on Zoom because (laughs) of everything going on with COVID. And it's it's been going well so far. It's just like back-to-back interviews, though, because it's so many people. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, there's definitely some benefits to being virtual, but you're also, like, that much more available and, like, I don't know. Things things back-to-back. So it's like some interviews are just, like, all day, like, 12, well, 10 to 4, and we'll do, like, 20-minute increments, and it's just kid after kid. But they're all so unique and all have different stories. So I love the interviews. I love getting to know them. It's just a lot of – it's a lot of kids. Yeah, and a lot of information trying to keep track of who – Yeah. Kid. Yeah, awesome. Wow, 50, 50-some 50 applicants. That's amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So um, what have been some of your greatest accomplishments while working in the child welfare sector? Um, well, like I said, I've known a lot of these kids for years. And so just to watch their accomplishments, I feel like it is one of my greatest accomplishments to know that I've had a hand in helping them graduate, helping them get their first job, helping them go off to college, like just being able to watch them go through all that and just building that honestly a lifelong relationship most of the kids that I had that are even 27 28 you know I still I still keep in contact with them today so just building that relationship and and helping them make positive steps is is my biggest accomplishment yeah definitely 
On the flip side, what about any challenges? What challenges have you experienced in the last five years or so? Um, I think the biggest challenge is having to accept when there's no more resources for a youth. Mm -hmm. So we've tried all the housing options we can try. We've done all the, the educational opportunities that we can try. And it's just like nothing is working for that youth. And Delaware is so small. So while there's a lot of resources in some areas, some areas there's really not like housing. Um, so just having to accept like, I really don't have anywhere else to place you. Like just things like that is really hard to, to deal with. Yeah, and in the five-year time frame that you've been working in this area, have you seen any any increase in quantity of resources or not really? Uh, not really. Like, as far as mental health resources, I would say definitely that's getting a lot better. There's so many places for youth to get mental health resources. So I think, I think that that's great. But like I said, my biggest thing is housing. And the issue is a lot of people don't want to accept such young people into apartments or houses and and you know they have reasons to to do so um but it's really hard to get them in there and then once they're in there you know the the thing about these kids is they want to give back so bad because of what they've been through and sometimes that ruins a lot of relationships because oh well this person was here for me so when i get my apartment they can come live with me and then they can come live with me and then it's just it just becomes an issue but they're trying to give back um so sometimes that can ruin the relationship with some of the housing resources that we have. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a tough, tough spot. And and do you, yeah. do you feel like you have enough housing resources or not really? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, because there's so many youth in care who then turn 18 and need somewhere to go. So we have a few transitional living um, programs where youth that's not exactly ready to be on their own they can stay in this transitional living program get some help from a case manager have a roommate um so there's a few of those in delaware but as far as actual apartments that will accept a housing voucher or accept someone that young without a co-signer it's not it's not enough for the amount of youth that we have in this age group i see and does anybody co-sign like can you guys co-sign for them or or not really no because then we'd be financially and legally responsible and then, you know, trouble, trouble. that would affect your credit. And yeah, so you don't want to do that. Sure, sure. Um, so housing is a challenge. What are some of the other challenges that youth face um, when it comes to independent living? Um, financial resources. Mm-hmm. Just just having, I mean, so I, I'm not sure if you're aware of the assist program, but it pays for some of those costs for youth that are aging out of care. Like it can help them pay their rent, their car notes, um, car insurance, utilities, things like that. But sometimes the, the amount of money they need assist is just not enough. So um, just making sure that they have all the money they need to get from point A to point B can be a bit of a struggle sometimes. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the assist funds um, because our CASA volunteers that end up um, representing and working with kids that are um, taking advantage of independent living services, sometimes the assist funds can be a little bit confusing. Um, So can you, um, I want to back up just a little bit about the assist funds. How does a youth qualify for them? Okay, so in order to qualify for independent, I'm sorry, for assist funds, you have to be active with an independent living agency. You have to be 18 to 21. You have to complete a financial literacy course. Usually it's online, um, and your IO worker can connect you 
with that course online. And then you would fill out an application with your aisle provider and then you create a budget. So um, you would sit down and use it with the youth and say, okay, how much money do we need for rent? How much do we need for your phone bill? How much do we need for clothing? So on and so forth. There's minimums and maximums to all the numbers, but you create a budget and then the youth will receive however much that budget budget added up to. And then once they receive that check, um, they're responsible for keeping on for the, the funds that they spent. And then they also have to have productivity hours, which is on the school work, volunteering um, for at least 128 hours out of the month. So the biggest requirements is that you be 18, 20 hours and show receipts for the money that you're given from this, this program. Okay, so there's some accountability that goes with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And your experience with working with the, the young adults, are they able to provide the documentation? Like, I would say it's like 50-50. Okay. You have, you have some youth that do great um, with their budgeting and turning in receipts and making sure they maintain the hours. And then you have some youth that are just like, okay, this is a $3,000. I'm going to do whatever I want with it. And then... You know, that's it. So I, I would say it's, it's about 50-50. Okay. And is are the assist funds needs-based? Yes, it's needs-based. So we're only going to put on a budget what they need. And um, so the maximum typically in most cases is $1,000. Excuse me, there's some circumstances where it could be more than that, like if they're repaying student loans or if they're getting an incentive, excuse me, or if... Um, furniture for the first time like sometimes it can be over a thousand but typically the max is one thousand but if you don't have a need for one thousand we're not going to give you one thousand yeah that makes sense i've i've I had a couple of classes that had um a youth um you know apply for assist and as soon as they got their own job their assist funds went down um but it makes sense because their needs are you know their their needs are a little less now that they are making more money on their own yeah, absolutely. So we consider income as well, um, any income that they receive and some benefits from social services. Like if a youth is getting $200 in food stamps, well, then there's no need for me to put $250, you know, on assist because you have money for groceries already. Gotcha. So that money's coming from somewhere else for, to, to serve mm-hmm. that purpose. Cool. Okay. Um, so what else should CASA volunteers know about you and independent living and, and kind of your role with um, Office of the Child Advocate? Um, I think the number one thing I would want them to know is that they can reach out to me at any time. Like, I love the CASAs. I love talking to them. I love getting to know them. I've, I've gotten to know a lot of them through independent living um, and answer a lot of questions for them. They've answered a lot of questions for me. So just knowing that, you know, I, I'm my door is open all the time, even though I'm not in the office. You can call me. You can email me. You can text me for whatever questions or support you may need. Um, and... I would say another important thing for CASAs to know, not just about me, but about youth and independent living, is to try your best to build that relationship with the youth. I've seen so many youth who absolutely love their CASAs and have been such a support system to them and to the team. And so as much as you can, build that relationship um, with your youth that you have on your caseload. And um, lastly, about my position at OCA, which is Youth and Transition Coordinator, we have a big need for donations um, for the scholarship because we have so many kids and um, I I expect that more will be coming and we want to try our best to help these kids. So there's um, 
a need for donations. So anybody you have that can give money for the scholarship fund, we appreciate it. <laughs> sure. Where This is kind of a silly question, but where does the funding generally come from for the scholarship? So some of the funds are state and some of the funds are federal. Um, so that's where a bulk of the funding comes from. But let's say we have $150,000 and 55 kids. It's not going to go too far when the need for a kid is $15,000, you know, I see. Per kid or, you know what I mean? So I think, you know, once we get through this scholarship process and, and, and giving out the money that we have now, my next goal is to raise more money so that we can help more kids. Because, I mean, you wouldn't believe how amazing these kids are, like, considering all that they've been through, the GPAs that they have, the, the schools that they're going to. It's just amazing. And so I want to be able to help them as much as possible. Yeah, wonderful. So do your, um, does the, do the funds fluctuate each year based on the amount of money given or is it generally a set? Okay. Yeah, so that money will fluctuate based on the, you know, whatever's available. Um, So that, that fluctuates and of course the amount of kids we have will change. But um, like I said, there's always a need for donations and more funding. So you know, CASAs know plenty of people. So if you know people who want to give specifically to education for youth, then that's yeah, a good spot to mention, then, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, cool. Yep. Um, what I can do, if you don't mind, is I can include your contact information in the show notes for this episode so that CASAs know how to reach out to you. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. And I have the link for donations and everything, too, so I can send that over so you can include that as well. Oh, that would be awesome. Thank you. Um, and then I'm not, I kind of made me think of another question about CASA volunteers. So um, in terms of services that are available, what's the best way for CASAs to go about understanding like what services are available to youth through independent living? I think that the best way would be to talk to their provider, the independent living provider. Um, I know that I've done a couple of trainings with Kelly um, about independent living and just, you know, teens and all that. But I I wish that there was something specific for CASAs about independent living. And I would be happy to do that if you have any ideas. But for now, the best way would be to talk to um, either the independent living provider. and, And that changes a lot as far as, you know, independent living agencies get new providers. So sometimes that's hard. But push come to shove, Sophia Elliott, the program manager for independent living is a good resource as well. Oh, excellent. Very cool. Okay. Um, And we've done some trainings on independent living in the past. um, And my goal is to kind of always keep them going because it seems like it's just such good information all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll keep in mind to make sure to keep that on a rotating basis as well. Yeah. That would be great. Awesome. Yeah. Any any other final words or anything you want to share with the CASAs that might be listening to this podcast? Um, No. Um, I'm happy for what you guys do. I appreciate you, and I'm here anytime you need me. And thank you, Lauren. Yeah, awesome, Antonisha. Well, thank you so much for chatting. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Wow. What a great discussion with Antonisha Busby. So I hope that was really helpful in helping you understand what services are available to our older youth uh, and young adults. So independent living services start at age 16 and they run through the age of 21. So even if a youth uh, ages out of foster care, turns 18, whether or not they invoke um, extended jurisdiction, they are still able to remain active with their independent living services. And those services are generally housing, employment, education, 
community supports, and medical coverage, so both physical and mental health coverage. So independent living providers are the folks that help these young adults navigate the services and what resources are available. You heard Antonisha talk about assist funds. These funds are incredibly supportive to all kids that take advantage of the independent living services. So this is a way for youth to earn money. Um, They do have to take the financial literacy course and then provide some proof of what the money was spent on in order to continue to receive this money. But it is money well worth it. Um, So if you have a youth who who fits the requirements and is active with their independent living worker, having them take advantage of the assist fund can be incredibly helpful to them, especially as they transition into higher education or into perhaps a new housing arrangement or anything along those lines. So I want to make sure that um, we also highlight, uh, you know, we never mean to target CASAs or anything about money, but if you happen to know someone or be willing to donate to the IVM Davis Scholarship Foundation, that would be a wonderful location for some funding. Um, As Antonisha pointed out, this scholarship is specific to youth um, in foster care going on to higher education, and what a great way to support a youth um, is by providing some financial support for their higher education needs and goals and help them reach their goals. So for anyone interested in donating, making a donation for this scholarship, um, you can go to courts.delaware.gov forward slash child advocate forward slash about dash us forward slash support. So I will include that link in the show notes. And when you click on donate, you can simply um, mention scholarship um, in the comment box for donations so that way the money will go directly to the scholarship fund. So again, that link will be in the show notes um, when you click donate, click or in the uh, comment box type scholarship and that way the funds will get directly into this line item so that the funds can be um, used for youth needing higher financial support for higher education. So thank you so much for enjoying uh, this episode number 13, and we hope you enjoy um, our future episodes. If you have any ideas or things about topics about training that you might like to learn about, please let me know. Um, I always look for new topics to discuss and things that CASAs would be interested in and learning about um, and any topic that might be um, helpful in you and your for you and your case. So now that this podcast is complete, go ahead and complete fill out your in ter, in service credit uh, training credit form that I send out every Friday. It's the in service credit form. Complete that. Send it on back to me. This is podcast episode number thirteen. And thanks so much for listening. It is the years go by. A friendship will never die. You got a friend in me. You got a friend.